Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke uh, chapter 23. It's page 884 in your pew Bible. Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light faded, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance, watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was a day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath day they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful man and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the leaven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do have so much to be thankful for. You are a great, mighty, powerful, loving, and merciful God. Lord, we thank you for all that you have done for us. You bore our griefs. You carried our sorrows. You were stricken for our transgressions. And you bore our griefs and our transgressions. You were crushed for our iniquities. You suffered and died on Calvary that we may have remission of our sins and have eternal life with you. Lord, we do praise you and thank you that the victory is yours, that the grave does uh, have no sting. Death has no sting and the grave has no victory, but, it, but death was swallowed up in your victory. Lord, we praise you and thank you. We thank you for the hope 
that you give to us the hope of redemption and the resurrection and eternal life through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for your word. We ask now that you would prepare our hearts, that we would be uh, contrite and humble in spirit, that we may hear what you have to say to us now. We thank you for Cody. We ask that you would give him the words that you want us to hear. And again, we just praise you and thank you for this most glorious and wonderful day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Will, for reading the passage this morning. He started reading in chapter 23 in order to give us uh, some context, but we will spend the majority of amount of time this morning in chapter 24 of Luke. We have sung some wonderful truths this morning. See what a morning gloriously bright. Christ the Lord has risen today. Hallelujah. Why did we sing those songs? I ask the question because that isn't probably the songs the people, specifically the people in our text this morning, were probably thinking on that particular Sunday morning. If anything, they were thinking the opposite. Christ the Lord is dead in the tomb. See what a morning deadly and dark, not gloriously bright. And yet we sang gloriously bright this morning. We sang Christ the Lord is risen today. So I would presume, presume that due to your singing this morning that you believe that in some, in some measure. And so the question we might ask for us this morning is, if we do sing the amazing truth of Jesus Christ risen from the dead this morning, how should that truth move us, even change us this week, next week, eternally even, the rest of our lives? If you're taking notes this morning, you might jot down a theme for our text this morning in one sentence. It would be something like this, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead happened precisely as foretold, irregardless of the belief or unbelief of the world. That the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead happened precisely as foretold, irregardless of the belief or unbelief of the world. And that's important. That's very important because as we will see this morning, if you or me had any stake in how this decision-making process for this miraculous event would take place, would have gone, we certainly would not have chosen this route. From the human common sense standpoint, point of view, what we see this morning in Luke 23 and 24 doesn't make any sense. And yet, wonderfully, Jesus Christ is more than just a human. He is the Son and was the Son of God. And His plan and ways are perfect. If you still have your Bible open, and if you do, uh, if you do not, I would encourage you to open it. If you do, I'm glad. Look at 24, 1 through 7 as the source of my first point this morning, that being an unexpected announcement Point number one, verses one through seven, an unexpected announcement. You have this first day of the week, Sunday morning. 
You have these women, these, these people. Probably verse 10 tells us a bit more of who these people were. Verse 10 of, your, of chapter 24, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and other women. A group of women, some of the other gospels give us a bit more detail, but a group of women, we're not sure how many. It's probably the same group of women that we see in chapter 23, verse 49, who witness the death of Christ. They were there. They saw Christ on the cross. They see him die. It's probably the same group of women who see Christ buried by Joseph in verse 55. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. And it's these women who come on Sunday morning. They come with prepared spices and ointments to basically continue or finish maybe the embalming process. The decaying flesh of a dying body would have been quite a stench. And they come to place these prepared spices and ointments on the body of Christ. And they come early in the morning. And quite unexpectedly, they find the tomb open. The stone which has been there is rolled back. A stone that not one mere man could have probably rolled away. They find it open and the tomb is empty. Verse 4 of your text, verse 20, uh, chapter 24, says that they were perplexed by this. They were perplexed by this. That's an interesting statement. They were confused. Now we saw, just a few days ago, we saw that body on that cross. We saw that body laid, that tomb. I could imagine maybe a little bit of discussion even saying, we're at the right one, right? It was this one. Yes, it was this one. We saw that stone. Yeah, we saw the stone rolled. The tomb's empty. Where is the body of Jesus that we saw killed and we saw buried right here? If you've never read the Gospels, if you've never read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John in the Bible, and you were just reading this story for the first time, you would think, well, their confusion makes all the sense in the world. Of course they were perplexed. That makes all the sense in the world. They came there, they were confused. It was supposed to be right here, it's gone. Look at verse 4. Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. The disciples are holed away in some room with the door locked as we learn in other parts of the scripture. These ladies had walked with Christ. They had seen him teach. They had heard his teaching. They had seen his miracles of healing. They had seen his miracles of provision. They had seen his power over creation that could calm stormy seas. Even his power over life and bringing his good friend Lazarus back from the dead. They had heard Christ tell them over and over and over again exactly what was supposed to happen. If you're with us on a normal Sunday morning, we're studying through the Gospel of Mark. We've just come to the end of Mark chapter 10, where we have noted now 
Christ telling his disciples three different times in the row, I'm going to be killed at the hands of sinful man. I'll be delivered into the hands of sinful men. I'll be killed, and on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. He tells them three different times. It wasn't as if nobody had not heard this was going to happen. So you see, if anyone in the world, in the history of the world, should have been at the tomb on that Sunday morning, it should have been the disciples, and it should have been these ladies, not waiting unexpectedly, but expectantly. Standing there, maybe even arriving early, waiting, knowing. He said this for three years. We've heard him say, he's going to rise from the dead. We want to see this. They should have been there, waiting, because Jesus wasn't going in to be in that tomb that morning, because he had told them that he wasn't going to be in that tomb. You hold in your hands this morning, maybe by way of electronic device or by way of printed page, the Bible, the living word of God written down by men by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The central theme of the Bible from the beginning, from Genesis, the very first words all the way to the end of the Bible, Revelation, could be summed up as simply as this, that the all-knowing, all-powerful creator God is perfect, that he judges eternally the sin of imperfect people and redeems those imperfect people through his son Jesus Christ for his glory. I've been told I talk fast up here, so I'm going to repeat that phrase. The central theme of the Bible from the beginning to the end could be summed up as simply as that the all-knowing, all-powerful creator God is perfect, judges eternally the sin of imperfect people, and redeems those people through his son Jesus Christ for his glory. Well, what does that have to do with Easter Resurrection Sunday morning. Simply this. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, that statement in its entirety is not true. It's like, it would would be like you and I this morning having a big giant jigsaw puzzle and, and we're putting all the pieces together and there's that one errant piece. The picture would not be complete without the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Certainly the fact that God is all knowing, that he's all powerful, that he's the creator, that he's perfect, that he judges eternally the sin of perfect people, all of that is certainly true. But the last part would not be. If Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, the Apostle Paul tells us we're to be people most pitied. What are we even doing here if he did not rise from the dead? If he did not rise from the dead, we don't have any hope as imperfect people of relating to a perfect God. And it's not because his resurrection proved the deity of Christ. His resurrection did not prove his deity. You don't have to rise from the dead to prove that you're God. There were others in the Bible that were brought back from the dead. They weren't God. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ points not to his death, but to his life. The resurrection of Jesus Christ points to his perfect life. He was the perfect man. 
the only one who was ever not born in sin, who didn't ever, never broke the law of God, never had a wrong thought, never had a wrong word or action because he was perfect. And because Jesus Christ was perfect, nothing, not even sin, nor even death, could hold him in the grave. The tomb that morning was empty precisely because the heart of Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, was empty of sin and full of perfection. Romans 6, 23, tells us that the wages of sin is death. Imperfect men earn death for their sin, but Christ was perfect. He did not have to die, and yet he did die. He died for your sin, and he died for my sin. And only the perfect God-man could take the sin of imperfect people. My sin, by his death, is credited to his perfection. He took the punishment of death for me, and he will take it and can take it for you. If you will believe upon him for the forgiveness of your sin and turn away from your sin in repentance, your sin will be credited to Christ's account as well. And his perfection is credited to your account. It's the greatest exchange in the history of mankind. It's the greatest exchange in the history of the world. It's an exchange that brings the promise of eternal life. It's the exchange that was proven possible by the resurrection of Jesus due to his perfect life lived on this earth. There's a Puritan minister, old guy, long ago dead, Thomas Watson, speaking of the promise of eternal life for the believer in Jesus Christ, says this. Listen to his phrase. The believer... For the believer, we are more sure to arise out of our graves than out of our beds. That's good. We are more sure to arise out of our graves than out of our beds. I can't promise you that if you follow Jesus Christ, everything's going to be roses and daisies and everything perfect, lollipops. I can't promise tomorrow morning you're going to be alive or how long you will live. But we can promise, and I would agree with Watson, if you know Jesus Christ in saving faith, the only real problem that you have, namely the eternal state, eternal existence of your soul is solved forever, fixed in the heavenlies. For the believer, you are guaranteed to rise out of the grave. You may not be guaranteed to rise out of your bed tomorrow morning, but what's better, rising out of your bed or rising for eternity to be with Jesus Christ? Oh, that's good. The ladies that morning, they got the unexpected news. It should have been expected because Christ told them. So what about you this morning? You hold the Bible in your hands. You hold the living word of God. You can read for yourself what Christ says about himself. That he would die, that he would be buried and rise from the dead for the forgiveness of sins. You can read that Christ says that he's coming back to judge the world. The living and the dead and pronounce heaven or hell for every person dead or alive. Will you believe him? Will you listen to him? Point number one, verses one through seven, an unexpected announcement, an unexpected announcement. Point number two, picking up in verse eight, an unbelievable story, an unbelievable story. Verse 8, and they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them, 
who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. The ladies received an unexpected announcement in verses 1 through 7, and upon remembering, oh yes, now we remember what Christ had said. It all makes sense. Of course he's not here. He has risen. Let's go tell the disciples. And they do. They go off. They see the disciples. They tell the disciples. Only the disciples are still stuck in the same line of thinking that the women had been earlier that morning. And all they hear is this tall tale. Our theme this morning, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead happened precisely as foretold, irregardless of the belief or unbelief of the world. Think about that phrase this morning for a moment. Doesn't that sound like a tall tale? That the, belief, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead happened precisely as foretold, irregardless of of the belief or unbelief of the world. If we would just apply some common sense this morning, quote unquote, the death of the perfect son of God makes really very little, if any sense at all. Imagine, if you will, why would you have to die if most of the people that like you don't want you to die And all the people that do want you to die don't care about you and are enemies of you. Think about it. If you had the ability to live forever and never die, and all your friends say, we want you to never die and be with us forever, and all your enemies say, we want you to go away and never be here again, what's the perfect solution to both problems? Don't die. You stick it to your enemies, and your friends live with you forever. That's just the perfect solution, isn't it? So why does Christ have to die? It seems like a tall tale. People do crazy things all the time for a few people who believe in them. Hey, man, can can you hook yourself off this cliff? What about if you tried this? Try that. They'll do crazy things all the time. People do crazy things all the time when some people don't believe in them. But I don't know of anyone who gets out of the bed in the morning and thinks... You know, irregardless of what others believe or do not believe about me, I'm going to die for them. That doesn't make any sense. It seems like a tall tale. It isn't normal to, to die for people who don't like you. That's not normal. That's not human. And it sounds like a tall tale precisely because it is not human. It's supernatural. Go with me in your Bible to Romans chapter 5, page 942 in your pew Bible if you need help finding it. Romans chapter 5, I just want to read a couple verses, three of them. Look with me at verse 6 of Romans chapter 5 and follow along with me as I read. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though, perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why? Because the perfect plan of God to redeem imperfect people through his son Jesus Christ for his glory. That's why. 
It's not because we deserve it. It's not because we're special. Not at all. Christ went to the cross and died and was buried and rose from the dead out of obedience to God the Father and love for you and love for me. That is supernatural. That's why it sounds like a tall tale because it's not natural. It's supernatural. The resurrection of Jesus Christ accepted in faith through the truth of the Bible on your lap this morning, is the linchpin in God's redemptive plan for mankind. If we had time this morning, and I'll, by way of skimming, show us a few things, we could go from Genesis to Revelation and see how the resurrection is the linchpin all the way through. Just by way of brief uh, clarity for us, Genesis 3.15, we're told of a man who would come and crush the head of Satan but in the process would have his heel bruised. At the cross, Christ was bruised, but his resurrection crushed the power of sin and death, the domain of Satan. If we moved forward in our Bibles just a bit to Exodus chapter 12, we're told of a lamb that was to be sacrificed and its blood spread over the door of the house of the one who believed in God in order to gain protection from God going through the land and executing the judgment of death. The death of a lamb, the blood of a lamb, secured the life of those under its blood. Gospel of John, chapter 1, John the Baptist, seeing Jesus says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The resurrection of Jesus is our assurance that his blood is perfect and covers our sin completely from the wrath of Almighty God. The Old Testament, moving forward even into Leviticus, tells us a priest that would mediate between the sinful people of Israel and their holy God. And they would do so by once a year on the Day of Atonement offering a sacrifice for the sins of the people. The priest would take the blood of sacrifice and sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat. Quote, Leviticus 16, 16, because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And here we have Christ, who's not only the perfect sacrifice, he is also the priest. Because by his perfect blood, he mediates for us sinners with a perfect God. The priest would go into the Holy of Holies, that area, most, the most holy place in the temple, to intercede for the people before God. And by the blood of Jesus, we are able to come before the Almighty God. The perfection of the blood of Jesus for our sins finds its assurance in the resurrection. And we could go on and on and on this morning, working our way through the Bible. All of it pointed to Jesus as the way of redemption for sinners before a perfect God. It's an unbelievable story. It really is. But will you believe it? Will you believe it? Ask me. Ask someone in the pew around you today. What does it mean to believe the unbelievable story? And when you do, what happens? What changes? What takes place? Last point, point number three. Verse 12 An obedient believer. An obedient believer. Peter enters into the scene in Luke chapter 24. He comes on the scene yet again. And if you know anything about Peter, Peter has uh, not a good track record up to this point in his life. He's bold. He's brash. 
He makes ill-fated decisions. He rushes headlong. But Peter, maybe for the first time, really finally makes a good decision. He rushes out upon the testimony of the women and he runs to the tomb and he stoops and he looks in and he sees the linen clothes by themselves. The evidence of the departed body. In John's gospel, we're told that the head wrappings were folded in the particular place that his head was at. And then he goes home marveling at what had happened. In other words, he goes home amazed. He goes home believing. Now, I want you just to shift your eyes, if you're still looking at the Bible, from, Levitic, from Luke 24, 12, over to Luke 24, verse 45. Look at verse 45. Then he, Christ, opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses to these things. Christ and some of his last words on earth charges his disciples to go and tell the good news. Go and be eyewitnesses. Go and be reporters of the good news. Go tell the truth that Jesus Christ suffered, rose from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be, now notice here, proclaimed in his name to all the nations. Why only his name? Why not some other name? Why not anyone else? Because as the Son of God, who has defeated sin and death, was raised from the dead and now is reigning in heaven, Matthew's gospel tells us in chapter 28 that Christ has all authority. That's why we proclaim forgiveness and repentance in only the name of Jesus Christ. It's because he is the only one who has all authority. No one else has that authority. Christ has all authority. And that's significant. It means that you can't just decide, I'll believe in Jesus, and at the same time decide, I'll also have my way. Christianity isn't an a la carte menu. You don't, you don't go in and say, you know what, I'll take uh, the hamburger and leave off the pickles. I'll take the enchilada without sour cream. I'll take Jesus and also a little bit of this. You get all of him or you get none of him. You either believe in Christ and take the whole package or you don't get the package at all. Peter gets it though. Up to this point in his life, Peter has done a lot of believing but not a lot of submitting to the authority of Christ. And that's what changes going forward for Peter. He goes from a headstrong, a passionate, a proud, a, a bull in a china shop type of guy to now one who is bold but humble, one who is submitted to the authority of Christ, one who is moldable to the will and way of Jesus Christ. So how about you this morning? How about me this morning? Do you believe in Christ? Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? That's good. That's good that you do, if you do. But are you submitted to his authority in your life? Is he in control or are you in control? 
No one today likes authority in the morning anymore. Since the 1960s, we've tried to publicly buck all types of authority. And yet the authority of Christ is like no other. Because he has authority over your life whether you want to submit to it or not. Whether you like it or not, Jesus Christ has authority over all the world. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead happened precisely as foretold, irregardless of the belief or unbelief of the world. And that, my friends, is a wonderful thing. Last thought, and we're done. What's the takeaway from this morning? What do, we, what do we do going from here? What does the writer of Luke's gospel want us to, to think and feel and change this morning? I think it's simply this. Like Peter, go home. Go home. Go home and marvel at the truth of Jesus Christ. Go home and submit yourself to the authority of Christ. Go home and be bold as Peter will in the rest of the Bible. Be bold to tell others of your wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ, your Lord, who has conquered sin, death, and the grave. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus Christ who stuck to the plan of salvation irregardless of whether we wanted it or not. Father, you know that in our heart of hearts, we would not have accepted. We would not have chosen this way. We would not have chosen Christ. We would rather strive in our own pride to achieve relationship with you, with, with you, the perfect God. And many do. And yet, Father, you opened our blind eyes and our deaf ears. You changed us from dead people in sin to life in Jesus Christ. And you've helped us to see, Father, this morning even, that there is no salvation in anyone else other than the name of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the only one that has the authority to forgive sins. Oh, Father, we thank you for that. And we thank you that even when we at times, even today and this week, are not delighting in submitting to that authority, that your steadfast love and faithfulness perseveres anyway. And you draw us in love back to yourself. You draw us back to the submission of the, under that authority that is good for us. That submission has the most joy and delight that any human being on this side of heaven could possibly ever experience. Father, I pray that this morning we would go from here. We would go home and marvel. And that marveling and that amazement of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, slain for us might strengthen us to be bold for our neighbors, our family, our friends, our co-workers. Might strengthen us in the fight for faith even this week. In the precious name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.